you have your Bibles, you can open to Leviticus. Yeah, I said it right. Leviticus chapter 25. Uh, if you're just now saying, man, this is the day I should have skipped. No, you don't. This is the day you should have come. So Leviticus chapter 25, if you don't know where that is, open to the very front of your Bible. You'll find Genesis, Exodus, then Leviticus. And we will be unpacking some of that today. Uh, if you're a guest, we're so glad to have you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to make a friend next to you. Maybe that's awkward. You can open your phone, uh, look up Bible.com or Bible Gateway, and there's some ways you can uh, find a free resource of a Bible on there. I will share a little more about this series in a second, but just to set us up for today, where we're going in, in the concept of rest, I want to ask you this question just to process, maybe share with the person next to you. And here's the question. What's the most stressful or exhausting vacation you've ever been on? Right now, maybe I just brought you in some PTSD that came up for bringing that question up, but with the person next to you, can you remember the most exhausting or stressful vacation you've ever been on? Take a second, and we will jump in to the rest today. I'm not going to lie, there's a lot more talking than I expected for that right there. I don't know if that's, uh, if that means I brought in some deep wounds that just suddenly got stirred up or what, but, um, you know, exhausting stressful should not define vacation, right? That doesn't feel like a vacation. Uh, I'll never forget for us, one of ours was in 2016, we just bought a pop-up camper and we went to Red River, New Mexico. And we went camping. Thought it sounded like a great idea. I mean, you can tell me and my, my oldest daughter are getting ready to do some fishing. We're all excited. Uh, I'm not picking on my other daughter, but I'll show you why it was the most exhausting right there. That little face. She was a year and a half, almost two years old, and we were outdoor camping. She was just beginning to learn how to roam. And the place we were at was not a roaming destination. <laughs> and so we were literally locking her in like a little sheep pen by our camper. And she was miserable not having it. We couldn't let her loose because her camper was right next to a stream. So we, we were exhausted trying to keep up this whole time. And I remember coming back so frustrated because the camper was supposed to be our, our source of rest, rejuvenation. And we found ourselves stressed and tired. And, and I remember me and my wife talking and processing. And we had asked ourselves this question, say, what is the purpose of a vacation? Like, we had to define it for us. And for us, still this day, it's getting better, but our, our definition became this. It, it wasn't about resting. It wasn't about relaxation. For us, vacation was this. It was quality family time and quality family memories. And if we walk away with that, that's okay. We understood that there was not going to be rest and relaxation. I, I say it's important because for us, when we started going on vacations, when we went with that frame of mind of this is what it is, suddenly it took on a different meaning and purpose. There was something better came from it. Because when we were thinking it was supposed to be this rest and relaxation, and that didn't take place, for us, it felt like a failure. But yet when we redefined the purpose and said, well, this is what it's supposed to be for us now. It's family time. It's family memories. We, we began to see beauty in what was going on. I, I tell you that because here's the thing. That defining a purpose to something is vital to the outcome of anything, Right? When you come and say, well, what is the purpose of what we're doing here, that affects the outcome because it affects whether you see it fulfills the outcome of what's going on. 
You, you might say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, we're in a series called Redeeming Rest. And we've been going through, what does the Bible say about rest? What, how does this practice, what does it look like going all throughout the Bible saying this concept of Sabbath? That may seem like a weird word for you, but in biblical that means to cease, to stop. What does it look like to stop working? And, and what does that mean? And we've been answering numerous questions. And today the questions we're going to answer is this, is what is the purpose of rest? So some of you got a little giddy, I'm not going to lie, every week I've heard some sort of fun comments from people of like, hey, Eric's told me to rest, so if I sleep during the sermon, I'm just being obedient to what he's asked today. I will call you out in the middle of service if you try that on me right now, I'm just kidding. I won't, but I will. Uh, understanding the purpose affects the outcome. Because if, you're, if your solution is, well, I'm going to go home and watch football and that's rest, that, that might or might not actually be the answer to what's going on. But if you don't understand the true purpose of what God was intending here, you, you can be resting but not resting the Lord and still failing what he's asking you to do. There, there's a type of rest that God has called us to that is built into the very fabric and rhythm of the world. You see in Genesis 1, uh, he, he creates the world with this rhythm. Six days of creation and one day of rest. A God of the universe that didn't have to chose to rest as an example for us. So, so what does that look like for us? And for many of us, talking to people, we, we feel out of rhythm, don't we? We feel out of sync. We feel like, man, if I can just, if I can just get to this next thing, I, I can't wait to rest. I can, if I can get to retirement, man, it's going to be rest. It's going to be restful. Uh, you guys in retirement, how's that working out? <laughs> it, it doesn't too well, does it? You, you see, it's a matter of this. What we implore and practice now affects the rest of our life. And so how do we build healthy rhythms right now? And so the question is, what is the purpose of rest? The answer is this, and you're going to see it in Leviticus chapter 25. The purpose of rest is to bring about restoration, reconciliation, and redemption in my life. Those are all big churchy words, and I promise you I will dumb them down for everyone in the room so you're all following what's going on. So we're in Leviticus chapter 25, and I'm not going to lie, it is a long text, and I feel like the due diligence is we need to read it all so you can catch it all. But, but I feel in full fairness, I need to explain something to you. What, what is Leviticus? If you are, have ever in your life tried to read through the Bible, most likely you died out in Leviticus, right? You got Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. You're like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what the sacrificial of the goats or, you know, molding my mother's cupboard has to do with me. Like, you get lost, right? It's important to understand what the books of the Bible and the genre of what's going on. You see, the whole Bible is a narrative talking about God's creation, God's people, and God's redemption of those people who have broken what was perfection in his world through our sins. And the whole Bible is detailing that. But while the whole Bible is a narrative, not every book is written as a narrative. Some are written as wisdom literature that gives us wisdom on how to live. Some, some is poetic, like if you read Psalms, it's poetry explaining. Leviticus is law. If you were to pick up a book of laws and read, that, that's what you're reading. So if you're reading it and going, I I'm not following, it it's okay. That's probably why, because you're trying to read it like a story, and it's not a story. It's God's commands and law form. And, and to understand and appreciate, you have to understand the narrative of what's going on in Genesis. God creates everything. He creates man and woman, and, and they sin, and they ruin the perfection of God and creation of what he's done. And God, from Genesis 3 on, starts a motion to redeem the world, to deliver us out of the sin that we can't save ourselves from. And God does it through a chosen people called the Israelites. 
And all throughout Genesis, you see the story of God working and God promising and what he's going to do. In Exodus, you pick up the beginning. God's people have been in bondage and slavery to the Egyptians for 400 years, and God delivers them out of that. That's where you get the story of the Red Sea where they cross, where God is literally taking them out of the bondage of slavery to now be his people. And towards the end of Exodus, they're finally just escaping through their life. They're living day to day off the manna and provisions of God, and they're finally starting to get somewhat established. And Exodus ends with them setting up a tabernacle. Now, that might not mean anything to you, but a tabernacle for them represented the presence of God. Wherever the tabernacle was, this tent set up, it represented God was literally right there. His presence was with them. And so when you pick up in Leviticus, it starts to tell us, well, how do we live with God in our presence? Think of it this way. Just follow along. How can an unholy people live in the presence of a holy God? If you're at a loss, I am too. And so God gives them a whole book in Leviticus says, listen, to live in my presence because we are tainted by sin more than we can ever imagine, this is what it looks like. And so the whole book is talking about how they can live in God's presence by introducing rituals and ceremonials and purity laws that allows them to be cleansed to live in God's image and place until the New Testament when Jesus would come and take away those things, fulfill those things so that we don't have to live under those laws anymore. So so I say all that because when you open Leviticus chapter 25, you might get lost as well. In Leviticus chapter 25, it's talking about God's justice and provision for his people. And it's broken down in Leviticus chapter 5, 25 in, in three really parts over the span of 50 years of ceremonies they're going to celebrate. Well, one is called the Sabbath year. Once every seven years, he wants them to stop and let the land rest. This is my property. This is my land. And I want you to quit working it, quit farming it, and just trust me with it. And every 49th year, with seven times seven, you'll see here in a second, they have the Day of Atonement where they sacrifice and get right with God. And on the 50th year following that, they have this thing called the Year of Jubilee. And everyone who's lost their land, which is the blessings and provisions of God, everyone who's found themselves in slavery is set free. This has been a once-in-a-lifetime thing for them. And all three of these things culminate into something that God is telling us when it comes to rest. So I'm telling you that so you understand as we begin to read what's going on. So Leviticus chapter 25, buckle up. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow the screen. Let's see what happens. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, speaking to the Israelites and tell them, he says, speak to Israelites and tell them when you enter the land I'm giving you, the land will observe a Sabbath to the Lord or a rest. You may sow your field for six years, and you may prune your vineyard and gather its produce for six years. But there will be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land in the seventh year, a Sabbath to the Lord. You're not to sow your field or prune your your vineyard. You're not to reap what grows by itself from your crop or harvest the grapes uh, of your untended vines. It is to be a year of complete rest for the land. Whatever the Lord produces during the Sabbath year can be food for you yourselves, your male or female slaves, and the hard worker or alien who resides with you. All of it is growth may serve as the food of your livestock and the wild animals of your land. So, so just follow every seven years there was supposed to be a Sabbath rest for the land saying, listen, this is my property. And I need you to trust me. And, and once every seven years, you give it back to me, you don't farm it. Listen, I, I am going to provide for you in that there's a sense of faith and trust to this, but it's also a sense of giving up ownership of who this truly belongs to. In verse 8, it says, you are to count seven sabbatical years, seven times seven years. In case you're wondering, what's the deal with seven? Seven was a biblical number. It meant a sign of completeness. That's what you see all throughout Scripture. So this is the time period of seven sabbatical years amounts to 49. Then you're to sound a ram's horn loudly on the seventh month of the tenth month 
uh, uh, tenth day of the month, you will sound it through your land the day of atonement. This is the day where they would find cleansing for their sins and be redeemed back into the relationship with God. Any sins that they had made, maybe they neglected to be aware of, they've forgotten, they'd have one day where all the sins were covered through this sacrifice made by the chief high priest inside the Holy of Holies where they believe God resided. It says, you are to, in verse 10, you are to consecrate the 50th year and proclaim freedom in the land for all its inhabitants. It will be a year of jubilee when each of you is to return to his property and each of you is to his clan. Fiftieth year will be a year of jubilee. You are not to sow, reap, or what grows by itself or harvests its untended vines. It is to be holy to you because it's a jubilee. You may only eat its produce directly from the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you will return to his property. If you make a sale to your neighbor or purchase from him, do, do not cheat one another. You are to make the purchase from your neighbor based on the number of years since the last jubilee. He is to sell you based on the number of remaining harvest years. Your increase its price in proportion to a greater amount of the years and decrease its price in proportion to a lesser amount of years because what he is selling to you is a number of harvests. You're not to cheat one another, but fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. You're not to keep, you're to keep my statutes and ordinances and carefully observe them so that you may live securely in the land. The land will yield its fruit so that you can eat, be satisfied, and live securely in the land. If you wonder, like, what will we eat in the seventh year if we don't sow or gather our produce? He said, I will appoint my blessings for you in the sixth year, so you will produce a crop sufficient for three years. I'm just going to stop there. My dad is a cotton farmer in West Texas. Uh, every year, it is an act of faith of what God's going to provide. Some year, you have great years to provide for me. Some years, it is nothing. And you're just saying, man, I hope we make it by. Uh, imagine every seven years, you're stopping and saying, listen, we, we're not tilling the ground, we're not doing nothing. Whatever comes up is what we're going to survive on, and we trust the Lord with it. And, and every 49th to 50th year, you're going to have not just that, you're going to have two years in a row of no produce where you're not harvesting. Whatever comes up is strictly from the Lord. Think of the act of faith that takes. Uh, it's amazing to see what's going on. He, he says in verse 23, he says, the land is to be permanently sold, not to be permanently sold, but it is mine. And you are only aliens and temporary residents on my land. You are to allow the redemption of any land you occupy. If your brother becomes destitute and sells off his property, his nearest relative may come and redeem what his, his, his brother has sold. If a man has no family or a family redeemer, uh, but he prospers and obtains enough to redeem his land, he may calculate the years since its sale, repay the balance to the man he sold to it, and return to his property. But if he cannot obtain enough to repay him what he sold, he will remain in possession of its purchaser until the year of Jubilee is to be released at the, at the Jubilee so that he may return to his property. It says, if a man sells his residence to a walled city, his right of redemption, his will will last until the year has passed after itself. His right of redemption will last a year. If it is not redeemed by the end of the full year, then the house in the walled city is permanently transferred into its, uh, perch, sorry, to its purchaser throughout the generations. It's not to be released on Jubilee. But the houses and settlements may have no walls around them are to be classified as open fields. The right to redeem such a house stays in effect, and they are to be released at the Jubilee. Concerning Levitical cities, the Levites will always have the right to redeem the houses and the cities possess. Whatever property one of the Levites can redeem, a household and city they possess is released at the Jubilee because the houses and Levite, Levitical cities are their possessions among the Israelites. The open pasture land around their cities may not be sold, for it is their permanent possessions. If your brother becomes destitute and cannot sustain himself among you, you are to support him as an alien or temporary resident so that he can continue to live among you. Do not profit or take interest from him, but fear your God and let your brother live among you. You are not to lend him your silver with interest and sell him your food for profit. 
He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If your brother among you becomes destitute and sells himself to you, you must be not force him into slave labor. Let him stay with you as a hired worker or temporary resident. He may work of, uh, for you until the year of Jubilee. Then he and his children are to be released from you, and he may return to his land, clan and his ancestral property. They're not to be sold as slaves because they are my servants and that are brought out of the land of Egypt. You're not to rule over them harshly, but fear your God. Your male and female slaves are to be from the nations around you. You may purchase male and female slaves. You may also purchase them from the aliens residing from you or from the families living among you, those born in your land. Those, these may become your property. You may leave them to your sons after you inherit as property. You can come can make them slaves for life and be concerning your brothers, the Israelites. You must not rule over one another harshly. If an alien or temporary resident living among you prospers, but your brother living near him becomes destitute and sells himself to an alien living among you or to a member of the resident's alien's clan. He has the right of redemption after he has been sold. One of his brothers may redeem him. His uncle or cousin may redeem him or any close relatives from his clan may redeem him. If he prospers, he may redeem himself. The one who purchased him is to calculate the time from the year he sold himself until the year of Jubilee. The price of his sale will be determined by the number of years. It will be set for him like the daily wages of a hard worker. If many years are still to be left, he must pay his redemption price in proportion to them based on his purchase price. If only a few years remain until the year of Jubilee, you will calculate and pay the price of redemption in proportion to his remaining years. He will stay with him like a man hired year by year. A resident alien is not to rule over him harshly in your sight. If he is not redeemed in any of these ways, he and his children are to be released at the year of Jubilee. For the Israelites are my servants. They are my servants that are brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is the time to nudge the person next to you back awake in the sermon, if you will. Hey, I, if you were falling along and you fell asleep and lost what's going on, that is what happens when you read Leviticus. It's law. It's hard to see, but you've got to see the details of what's going on. A people who come out of 400 years of slavery, what's the natural thing you're going to do? Fall back into trends that you were raised in growing up that is part of your culture. And so God establishes a law to keep people from being found themselves back in bondage, back in, in this where they've lost everything, a way to protect them where they are constantly being free. But more so, he's showing them what rest looks like in these years. And there's three pivotal things that fall in line, verses 8 through 9, you see, which is the sabbatical year, the day of atonement, and the year of jubilee. All that paint a picture of what God's intended purpose of rest is. But the first one, if you look at verse 1 through 7, talks about the year of jubilee, or sabbat, sabbat, sabbatical year. Let me say that three times. So sabbatical year. And God's showing us that when it comes to rest, rest should bring restoration. That, that word restoration means this. It means an act of returning something to a former or owner or place uh, of uh, condition. God has asked him, said, listen, this is the land I own, this is my possession, and every seven years, I want you to give it back as an act of faith. When they rest, they're returning back to God ownership of the land. Look at verse 2. He says, the land I'm giving you. It's clear God's understanding is this is my property. You are possessing it, you're not owning it. There's a difference in the two. You're living in it, you're enjoying the fruits of my labor, but understand, this is my property, this is my ownership. I don't know if you've ever had kids growing up and they seem to think they own stuff that they don't really own. Anybody had situations like that? This is my cell phone, this is my whatever. I, I remember growing up and getting upset with my parents or something. I went and slammed my door and my parents said, don't you slam the door. And I said, this is my room. You can't tell me what to do. Which my dad quickly took the door off my room and said, let's see whose room it is now. And I did not have a door on my room. 
Or, or the time whenever I had my car, and I said, that's my car. I can do with what, what I want. And my dad said, oh, yeah, and he went out and took off pieces of my car so it would not start and run. Guess what? I found out real quick, that's not my car. As long as I'm living under their household, it's under a different sense of ownership. You see, every time we rest, there's some sense of we're restoring back to what it is, giving back to God what's rightfully his. Let me ask you this, like each week when it comes to your relationship with God, when it comes to rest, do you give it back to God? Your job, your property, your family, man, God, this is yours. This is rightfully yours. You have the right to it. I'm giving it back to you. Not just you see a sense of restoration ownership, you see a restoration, a return in authority. Look what he says. He says, you may sow, you may prune, you may gather. He says, you are not to sow, in verse 4, you are not to prune. You're not. God is commanding them what to do. He's letting them know who's in charge. When it comes to how you handle your business, who's in charge? I'm the authority in your life. When it comes to your rest each week, do you come to a place to who decides what your week looks like and what is in charge of your life? Uh, growing up for you, who was in charge in your household? When you walked around, who, who, who laid down the rules in the house? I, I never forget at my house, it was my dad or my mom, depending on the day, to be honest. <laughs> well, it was always my favorite. My dad would go to the couch and he'd lay back and he'd kick back the seat and turn on the TV and close his eyes. And we could come and scream. We could catch a house of fire. He'd stay asleep. But if I came and touched that remote, he'd sit up and say, hey, I was watching that. And I was like, there's no way you're watching it. I remember getting older, and my biological father, I went and tried to tell him that I was the boss. And so I went, and one day we're wrestling over the remote. And I said, we're watching what I want to watch. And I had the remote, and me and him began to wrestle over the remote. And I had gotten a little bigger and a little tougher. I was proud of myself. And I get behind him, and I pick him up, and I throw him on the ground. And, man, I felt like, I felt like my, my, my time had come. And then I made a rookie move. I stepped over him, and I said, what now, old man? Listen, I've seen the movie Flash. He moved faster than that. I'm telling you right, got up, took my arm, put it behind my back, and I started screaming, Uncle. I realized real quick at the end of the day, my dad is in charge. He is the authority in what's going on. When it comes to your rest, who decides what your week looks like? Do, do you return ownership? Do you return authority back to God? Even more so, you see in this sabbatical year, you see responsibility. Look what he says. He says, whatever the land produces during the Sabbath year can be food for you. Who's producing that food? They're not planting, they're not harvesting, they're not working it. God's the one providing it. it. God is showing, listen, I'm responsible for you. I take care of you. I've told y'all before, one of the famous things that my staff like to say that one of my, uh, Carrie Black, who used to be here, started with us. When we come up and we start talking about issues going on, like what's going on, uh, something would come up, she would like to say this. She was like, whose monkey is that? In other words, it was saying this, like, who's responsible for that? And so when we say, well, this is so-and-so's responsibility, her, her favorite thing to say was, not my monkey, and she'd walk away. My wife still stay. That's the thing she likes to say, not my monkey. Let me ask you this. Listen, when it comes to you, who's responsible for your care and provision? Or, or maybe a better thing is this, whose monkey are you? We, we spend so much time trying to provide for ourselves, care of ourselves, and be the boss of our lives and realize, listen, it's all on me when in reality, God's the one who can provide. Everything that you've worked so hard for your life can be stripped away in a split second. And I've seen it happen time and time again where we have to come to a point to our knees and say, God's the one that provides, God's the one that has it. God owns it. God has the authority. And at the end of the day, the beauty is God also has the authority, the responsibility. And can I just tell you something in my life, that there is something freeing giving all that back to God. 
when we come to a place and said, God, this is yours, and you trust in his sovereignty, that there's freeing. I've dealt this in my time as just a short sin of the pastor where I, I constantly stress over things coming together, how are we going to make this work? And there's a free thing that comes. Say, you know what? This is God's church. I, I'm just called to steward it. And at the end of the day, man, you, you do what you want with it. Some of you know this coming up in October, November, the church is giving me a sabbatical, taking two months off. Can I tell you, that, that is as much as for me as it is for you to come say, listen, this church is going to survive. It's not built on me. I, I'm not the linchpin that holds everything together. This is God's church. He's going to care for it. And it's an act of faith for you guys to come to that place too. Listen, at the end of the day, do we come into a place of restoration in our rest? We're giving it back to God. The second thing you see in verse 8 through 9 is not just rest should bring restoration, but rest should bring reconciliation. That's a big churchy word. Let me just say what it means. Reconciliation means to restore to a a friendly resolutions or, or, or relations. In other words, if you don't realize this or not, me and you, when we sin, we make ourselves enemy to God. We have completely broken the heart and law of God. And we are not on friendly terms. And at some sense, our rest should come to a point where we're reconciling that relationship with God and said, God, I've messed up. You've redeemed me. You've freed me. And I've come to have that. In, in the scripture, in Leviticus, they had a thing called the Day of Atonement. It goes to Leviticus chapter 16. One day of the year called Yom Kippur, every year they would come and make sacrifices for all the people. In case there was any sins we forgot to confess and deal with, we would make restitution. We'd come to a point and said, God, we're back on friendly terms. Do you have this in your life? Like rest should be restoring a relationship with God. Emily and I, uh, she's a children's minister here, and we, we work together, and we have a beautiful blessing of Fridays having days off, which has come a day of rest for us in our household. In, in the summer when my kids are off school, uh, we, we found difficulty for like date days and having time together like we once had. And listen, our, our marriage didn't fall apart. We didn't have issues, but can I tell you something? Without having those days built in, as time went on, we, we found ourselves begin to say, you know, wow, we didn't realize how important this was to have a day just to restore our relationship with one another. Not just that, but even more so, it's not just like we haven't had time together, but, but sometimes our own actions, our decisions push us apart. Our sin separates us from God, and we don't recognize or see that in our own life. I had a situation just recently where we went to Salt Lake City uh, a couple of weeks ago. Great time, got to go with Josiah and Chris, scouting out a mission opportunity that we hope to share with the church soon on all sorts of stuff. But we, we started up Friday morning at 4.30 a.m., finished Monday at 1.30 a.m., and went nonstop. I love people, but I get peopled out at some point. I came back, and I was exhausted. I came back Monday that night. My wife's excited. I go to the room. I don't say a word. I'll be honest, I was an absolute jerk. I just was, I was not having it. I had attitude the whole time. Tuesday, I had attitude the whole time. And come Wednesday or Thursday, guess what I realized? I haven't been a very good person. And so Thursday, because I have to have a day to break my pride, uh, I, I came to my wife and I said, you know what? I was, I was kind of a jerk on Monday. She goes, yeah, you kind of were. Here's the thing. Listen, there, there was a barrier in our relationship because of how I acted and behaved. And while my wife is loving and forgiving, that there's something that was between us that I had to own up and deal with. E- each week there should be something in our life. When we rest, we come to God and say, God, I think I'll let something come between me and you. And I want to reconcile my relationship with you. Let me ask this, listen. Does your rest reconcile your relationship with God? The last thing you see in Scripture, verse 10 through 55, we're not going to unpack it all, but it's all about the redemption. Rest should bring redemption 
That's a big fancy church word, but it means this. It means to regain possession of something in exchange for a payment. The, the whole scripture is about people who would find themselves either selling away their property, which was in that time, that was the blessing and promises of God they were selling off. God was blessing them to inherit the land, to take this possession, and, and they had sold it off because of poor times, poor decisions. Or if they got to the point where they couldn't provide themselves, a lot of times they would sell themselves into slavery just to make sure they had the sustenance to provide day in, day out something to eat. And imagine this being forever in your life. You just escape this and you go right back into it. And so God instilled this year of Jubilee where, listen, once a year, if you don't have someone that comes and redeems you, a kinsman redeemer or a relative that comes and redeems, or get yourself out of the situation, once every 50 years, no matter what your debt is, whatever his past is, you were redeemed out of slavery and you regained possessions of your land. Well, I don't miss the property was the promise and blessings of God. Every 50 years, you'd come to a point, and it's a fresh start to the full blessings of God. Let me, let me say this. Listen, are you able to start each week with a fresh start where you're back in with all the blessings of God? Not, not only have you given back to God, not only are you in good relations with God, but you're enjoying all the benefits of being a follower of God. I think in the New Testament, the story of a prodigal son who came and said, Dad, I'm, I'm done with you. He said, I want all my inheritance, and he, he shipped out, his dad gave him his inheritance, and he left and squandered all his wealth. And at some point when he's dying in just misery and starvation, he decides to come back to his dad and say, Dad, I'm, I'm, I already have it in my mind. I'm going to ask forgiveness. Just would you treat me like one of his slaves? But the beauty of the story is his dad goes out, he hugs him, he restores the relationship, but he redeems him. A big part of the story is the father not just says come back, he gives him back his robe, he gives him back sandals, he gives him back a ring, all signs of full blessings of being a son again. Can I tell you, listen, no matter what you've done in your life, you can always come back to God and not just be back friends with God, but enjoy the full blessings of God. 1 John 1, 9, one of my favorite passages, for if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness, no matter what you've done. This is what rest looks like. Each week I'm coming and find restoration, I'm finding reconciliation, I'm finding redemption in my walk with God. Now, for many of you, you say, well, how does this apply to me today? Like, what does this have to do with Jesus? Because this is the Old Testament, right? I never make it past Leviticus. It's so boring, right? When you get to the Old New Testament, Jesus is our rest. Jesus is those fulfillment. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us this. Jesus restores us by providing what we couldn't. You couldn't live a perfect life. You couldn't make it, but Jesus does that for you. Jesus reconciles our relationship with God. We were once enemies with God, but because of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross, you are now friends with God. And you can have a conversation with God just as you can have a conversation with me. Jesus redeems us in the sense that we get to enjoy the full blessings of being a child of God. In other words, when Jesus sees me, he doesn't see me. He sees a son who lived a perfect life and did everything right. And no matter what my past is, whatever I've done, whatever, whatever mistakes I've made, I am right back in that place with God. Right there. Which, which brings you to an important question. Listen, understand this. Do you have Jesus? If not, how do you expect to rest? Because you, you can take a Sunday and go watch football and gain back energy, but, you, but you're really not resting because you still have all your problems you still have this issue between you and God. You still have stuff that's off. 
You can choose not to work one day and take a vacation somewhere and go lay on a beach and enjoy your time. But guess what? When you come back home, those things are going to be right back there. You're not really finding rest. You're finding temporary reprieve from issues. Jesus is our true rest. And he takes away all those things and he provides all those things. And if you don't have Jesus Christ, listen, you can pretend to rest, but you're not really finding rest. And you'll continue to chase that carrot and that stick thinking someday it'll arrive and you never will. And so it comes back to this. The purpose of rest is this. It's about uh, restoration. It's about reconciliation. It's about redemption in my life. Does, Does your rest look like that? Each week are you finding a day to give that back to God? The fearful thing, I want you to tell you this, is it's not meant to scare you, it's just to give you truth. It, what if we don't? You know what the interesting thing about this? It, it's history, so we know what comes after. God gives them this command of what it looks like to follow him, and yet, throughout the rest of Scripture, there's no record of the Israelites ever doing it. Ever. And finally you get to the point in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, after years and years of their disobedience and just walking with God, God comes and gets the rest that is deserved. He takes back the land, and he removes it from them for over 70 years to get back what he said. There is at some point in your life, if you don't choose to rest, God will force rest out of you. Don't believe me? Go read Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. What does it say? Some translations say, he lets me lie down in green pastures. You know what the, the proper translation? He causes me. He makes me lie down. Sometimes as a parent to my kids out of love, when they don't want to rest, I force them to rest because they need it. In my life, this came in uh, 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 July t- 2021. We're fixing to move into a house. I'm stressed. We're at Falls Creek. We've got all this stuff going on. I-, I am constantly running, thinking, man, if I can get past this next thing, my life will die down, man. I can, I can just get it. We come back from Falls Creek. Guess what happened? I got COVID, and I was sick as a dog. Never been more sick in my life. And even in that sickness, I'm still trying to fight and say, no, no, I can keep going. I'm keeping to the point that my head is in such a fog that I can't even think straight for two days. And I, I can't move. I can't do anything. And in that, the Lord made me stop. And through that, God made me realize that I was chasing something that was unattainable. In reality, I hadn't given him what was properly his. I, I'd say this, listen, I would encourage you to rest before the Lord makes you rest. What, what, what are you chasing after today? Some of you, I know right now this has gone in one ear and out the other, and you're going to go right back to doing, doing what you're doing. And, and I hurt for you, because that's not how God designed you. So some of you in this room right now are chasing rest without Jesus. And you, I'm just, you're never going to find it. The beauty is that we have a gift from God, as through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you'd come say, God, I need you. I need salvation. You will be saved. If you confess your sins, you believe in who he is, and you ask him to become Lord of your life, the Bible tells us you will be saved. And you can enjoy the freedom and rest in Christ that God intended us to have. So I'm going to ask wherever you're at, right, I'm going to ask you to take a second and just process these things I'm saying. I've given you a lot. I'm just going to ask you to just take a second and say, Lord, what are you trying to speak to me about? If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, just remove distraction, just get alone in your head with the Lord for just a second. And ask him. Ask him, say, Lord, have I been living in your purpose of rest?
Ask him what needs to change in your rhythm of your week right now for you to start doing that. More importantly, ask him this, is Jesus your rest? For some of you, that means you've never come to profess faith in Jesus Christ. Today is your day. For, for some of you, you are a believer, and yet you put Jesus on the, the pedestal or put him on the, the cover in the wall that you can pull out whenever you want, and you really don't ever enjoy the benefits and blessings of being a child of God. And today you need to start walking in that. If today, under the sound of my voice, if you are hungry for that, there's no reason you had to leave this place today and go back to that same hamster wheel. Today can be different. So I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to ask some of our leaders to get available for a time of response. So maybe if you just need someone to pray with you, to lead you through what I'm talking about, uh, they'll be available for that. the Lord is stirring your heart for a change, I encourage you to get up and respond today. Father God, I love you so much and I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for even the law in Leviticus in the Old Testament where you're trying to show us the freedom you meant to bring us, the rest you meant to bring us. And God, I know myself and I know others in the sound of my voice have spent so much time trying to be the God of our lives. trying to live in a place, be what we were never meant to be and match a pace that we were never meant to pace at. So God, I pray today we would come and find true rest in you. I pray we'd give these things I've talked about to you. I pray we'd receive the things you have for us. And I pray we'd be a people that leaves this place and embodies what it means to have rest and be joyful in the Lord so that others are curious of what you're all about. God, stir whoever is under the sound of my voice right now, the feeling that they need to get up and, and, and go and talk to someone. God, give them the courage to do that. Help us respond. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, we're going to worship. If you want to stand and worship or you want to stay seated and just process more, you, you do what you need to do with the Lord. We'll have people available. We've got elders up here in the front, including myself. We've got Steve be in the back and others. If you need someone to talk to, to pray with, you do that. But I pray you would leave here changed. Let's worship. I'm caught up in your presence. And I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave I'm not here for blessings Cause Jesus you don't owe me anything And more than anything that I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I just say 
another song So take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you And I'm sorry When I've come with my agenda And I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough So take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you I'm caught up in your presence And I just want to see
first Sunday of each month, we, we take communion. And so we're going to do that uh, real quick. If you did not get a cup, there's some in the back. We'll have elders and deacons maybe go and uh, just raise your hand and they can bring some by to you. Uh, if you're a guest, or uh, you're, you're welcome to take as long as you kind of, let me just explain who can take communion. Um, com- communion's a, a symbol of our salvation. And so there's two things that we do in the church that, that proclaim our salvation of what God has done in us. Uh, and one, one is baptism, which we do once following salvation to say, hey, listen, I, I've asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, and I, I'm professing my faith to you through the form of baptism by immersion. Uh, and so if you have done that in your life, if you have come to a point where you have professed your faith in Jesus Christ and you've publicly affirmed that through your salvation, uh, through baptism by immersion, then we'd love for you to take this today because the other thing we do is, is the Lord's Supper or, or communion. And, and it's a place where we come and ongoingly uh, acknowledge that we still are, are, are believe in God, that we still are following, and that, that that salvation is still true and that we're still united to the body of Christ. I, I equate it to a wedding and an anniversary. It'd be inappropriate to celebrate an anniversary if you hadn't had the wedding yet, right? And so uh, I, I just say that. If you have not done that, please don't feel ashamed or awkward. This is an invitation for you to watch, to take in, and maybe consider if, if Jesus is someone that you might be considered for your life. Or maybe you haven't been faithful in baptism and you're like, you know, I need to do that. Then I'd encourage you to pray about doing that. We have an opportunity coming up in September, the uh, 24th, that we'd love for you to take an opportunity with that. Uh, and so uh, if you fall in that criteria and you want one, raise your hand when the elders walk around. They, they can uh, give you a communion cup. I'd also say this. Uh, scripture tells us not to be inauthentic in our time of taking communion. In a sense, in other words, this. If you have an issue with you and God, whether it be a sin issue or bitterness, so you're upset with God, don't, don't be inauthentic. Say, God, I, I'm going to praise you and worship. When inside, I just I, there's something in me that feels distant from you, and I just don't want any part of you right now. Or, or God's children. You can't say you love God and hate his children. If you have an issue with someone in the room or something going on that you have not buried that hatchet and dealt with, God makes it clear he wants you to deal with that first. And so communion is a way to bring us together and to remind us of the gospel and affirm it in our life. And so Jesus, on his last night with his disciples before he was crucified, took them in an upper room and they ate a meal as they would have eaten any night. And they're just eating their meal, and he says, I want to do something different. It might not mean much to you now, but here in a few days, it will mean something drastically different. And so he took first the bread, and he passed it around, and said, I want all of you to take a piece of the bread. He said, this bread represents my body. See, here in a few days, it's going to be broken for you. They're going to mutilate my body. They're going to break my body on your behalf. I'm going to receive a punishment that you deserve for your sins. But because I love you, I'm doing this for you. So he asked them to take it in remembrance of him. And so if you've done that in your life, you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and you still proclaim, thank you, Jesus, for what you did, taking my punishment, would you take this with me today? After you've taken the bread... He passed the wine around. And he said, this wine is symbolic. It, it represents my blood. My, my blood will be shed for you. That sounds gruesome and awful, and it, and it is meant to be in a lot of ways. He said, when we sin, we incur a debt against a holy God. And there's nothing in this life we can do to earn that back. We, we can't pay enough. We can't be good enough because everything we do is tainted. Someone has to pay the debt that separates us from God. And Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and his blood was shed on our behalf so that me and you could experience forgiveness and relationship with God. And if you've experienced that and you still affirm that, would you take this with me today?
we take this to remind ourselves of the gospel, which means good news. It's the good news that God loved us so much that he gave his one only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It tells us that, that for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you've partaken this, you need to live and walk in that gospel truth of your life. If you're sitting there feeling like an outsider looking in, listen, you are not meant to be an outsider. God has called you to be an insider. God wants you to be a part of what he's doing and wants you to experience that truth. And I pray you'd respond to that today. So let me pray for you and we'll worship. Father God, I thank you for the reminder as a body of who you are. At the end of the day, no matter what agenda, what issue we have going on, that one, we are loved by you, we are forgiven by you, and we are united by you. So whatever differences we have, whatever petty issues, God, help us to bury that and make the truth of the gospel what matters in our life. Whatever sin we have in our life that's separated from you, help us understand that that was paid for on the cross. And if we would just come and acknowledge our sin, we are, we are right with you again. God, help us to enjoy the full blessings of you right now. And help us to give ourselves to you and all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and just spend another time of worship before we close.